0: Praise the Lord, everyone. So good to be in the house of the Lord. You can be seated. You've been standing a long time anyway. It's so good to be here. Uh, Man, those were, some of those are not good memories. (laughs) Breakdowns, breakdowns. I told my wife on the way here today, I said, I... I didn't, I didn't like to travel on the night I'm preaching because the stress of preaching is enough, but I know about breakdowns and man, I didn't want to have to call some of you folks and have you come get me, but I'd have done it. But it's so good to be here. We give honor to Pastor and Sister McGee, to their family. He was a great evangelist. He was a great evangelist, had an impact on our churches around the country. And you're blessed to have him in this church. Amen. You're blessed. Amen. Their leadership is known across the organization and uh, certainly in your district. And uh, I'm proud to call them friends. Amen. It's good to see Bishop back here. I haven't seen him in a long time. It had to be at a rally and. Henderson maybe, but a long time, really good to see him here, and then some of you look familiar, but I don't know which church, and I do know the cooks back here, some of the cooks are here, you know, folks grow up, and uh, Brother Hendrick said one time, there's a, they found a cure uh, for wrinkles, you ever heard that? they found a cure for wrinkles. It's called banana pudding. Said if you eat enough of it, your wrinkles will disappear. Some of you have grown up and some of you like me have grown out, so so we're unrecognizable. I used to have hair. Sometimes we're unrecognizable. But it's so good to be here. For all of you that have uh, traveled to be here, we appreciate you coming. I'll be honest with you. I, I started. Uh, I guess it was maybe two days after I got the call from Brother McGee. I started studying, and um, uh, I was studying on the way here tonight. My wife, she told me, "You have to get ready. We're going to be late." I still feel like I'm not done, but. In the home church, I can preach on something and continue it for 40 weeks. (laughs) Ain't nothing wrong with that. I did a commentary on the book of Revelation, one verse at a time. Um, Just to explain the whole book of Revelation, one verse at a time, 44 weeks. I did it again two years ago, maybe. And I did it for 33 weeks. See, I found ways to cut corners. But this is a subject that is so prevalent in our hour. We cannot keep up with what's going on. And every day it changes. Somebody said, why is it important? Because this is the hour that we have waited our whole lives for. You're about to see a revival in your church like you never dreamed would ever happen. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And I wanna I wanna begin what's gonna take four services to finish. But I want to go to a familiar passage of scripture in Matthew 24. I want to give honor to all the ministry that's here. You can remain seated. I'm sorry. Thank you for standing. But I'm going to go back and forth. And you won't want to stand as long as I'm going to be reading. In the 24th chapter of Matthew. Where's Brother Mason? Is You're he, right there. It sounds good right there, brother. He is handier than a, than a leatherman. That guy was on the drums. He's running the sound. He was playing the keyboard. He's singing. Man. <laughs> I told him I need it hot. I'm 61 years old. I don't preach revivals anymore. I've got four services in three days, and I'm, I need some hot monitor. But in the 24th chapter of Matthew... The disciples of Jesus were marveling at the grandeur, the beauty of the temple. You all know the story. In Matthew 24 and 1, the Bible said, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. There was nothing like it on earth. Josephus described it as the most splendid 13 acres on the earth. There was nothing like it. And he showed them, they were showing him, look at this beauty. And just as we walk by, just Lord, look at this beauty. And Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things, look again. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Nothing is said now for a 20 minute walk through the Kidron Valley, up to the Mount of Olives. They're stunned, they're shocked at what he just said, and so everyone's silent. And then the Bible said in verse three, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? They were saying, Jesus, you can't just drop a bombshell like that on us and then walk away and not explain what you mean. Because if the temple is gone, then the sacrifices will cease. The Jewish life as we've always known it, it's going to come to an end. Of course, Jesus didn't tell them, stop asking questions, it's not for you to know. That's the way some preachers are today when it comes to prophecy. One-third of the Bible is prophecy. Ninety percent deals with the time we're living in right now. It's something that ought to get our attention. But he didn't say that it's not for you to know. Don't ask questions about that. He could have said it's not even going to happen in your lifetime. Don't worry about it. But he didn't. Instead, he went into great detail about what signs they were to be looking for. I don't have time to read all of these, but Jesus said not less than five times, be not deceived. Verse 6, he said, "Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled for all these, these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Don't be troubled. Don't be worried about it. You're talking about war and then you're telling us not to be worried about it. I hope you'll understand that better at the end of this, at the end of this week. He said, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning. This is just the beginning of sorrows. Now keep in mind that Jesus just told them that the temple would be completely destroyed. It's going to be leveled to the ground. That happened in 70 AD when Titus and the Roman Legion came. They burnt the temple, destroyed the city. Exactly like Jesus said it would happen. But then he speaks of something else here that's just as shocking in verse 15. He said, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand. He said just a few verses before the temple is going to be completely destroyed. Life as you know it is coming to an end. That's what he's telling them. It's it's troubled them. They're disturbed by that. And then he tells them now that when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. He's saying there's another temple that's going to be built. This is coming down, but there's going to be another one in the future, a third temple that's going to be built, and it will also be defiled. Some historians believe that Daniel was talking about the defilement of Antiochus Epiphanes around 167 B.C., which led to the Maccabean Revolt, and then precisely three years later, Judas Maccabeus rededicated the temple in 164. And that's where we get the celebration of Hanukkah. However, this event of Antiochus Epiphanes was 167 years, or about 160 years, rather, before Jesus was ever born. So he was not talking about that. Jesus is referring to a future event that will come at the end during the great tribulation. The time that's described as Jacob's trouble. When the temple will be rebuilt, the Antichrist that Daniel spoke about during the great tribulation will defile that temple also. Verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. He speaks again of that tribulation period in verse 29. When he said after the tribulation in those days, he's coming back after the tribulation to set up a kingdom on this earth. And then verse 32, he gives us one more sign that's going to bring everything together in verse 32. He said, now learn a parable of the fig tree when his branches yet tender and putteth forth leaves. Ye know that summer is nigh. I told my wife yesterday, I said, we're about to have a really, really bad snowstorm. It's going to plunge way below zero. She said, how do you know? I said, because our neighbor's magnolia tree is fully bloomed today. It happens every year. It blooms too early, and every year it looks like somebody burned it with fire. Jesus said, you can look at the fig tree, and when it brings forth the leaves, it's not summertime yet, but you know that summer is right around the corner. He told them so they wouldn't understand what he was talking about. He said in verse 33, so likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near and even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled." heaven and earth shall pass away but my word shall not pass away but of that day and the hour knoweth no man no not the angels of heaven but my father only he's saying I cannot give you an exact date that's not for you to know but if you'll pay attention if you'll watch you'll clearly know the season is right for the coming of the Lord In Genesis chapter 49, Jacob was blessing his sons. Genesis 49 and 10, he said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver, but from between his feet until Shiloh comes. That meant that the Messiah had to be born before the scepter departed or before the Jews lost the right to enact the death penalty. Why? Because the death penalty of the Jews was stoning. But he had to die after the scepter departed because he had to die by a Roman execution called crucifixion that had not even been known for hundreds of years. And if you look at history, I don't have time to get into all of this, but the authority to inflict capital punishment was taken away from the Jews the very year that Jesus was crucified. So the scepter departed from Judah. It was transferred to the Romans exactly like the Bible said. I'm going to tell you at the onset that this is not a book that was written by men. This is the Word of God. And you're going to see it I hope in the next couple of days like you've never seen it before. This is not a fantasy book. This is not make believe. This is real and we're living in that hour. You're going to see things you've never seen in your life. You're going to see things preachers have stood and preached about and you shouted about and went back home and said I wish that would happen in our church. I'm telling you it's going to happen with your children. Your children are going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. You're going to see folks walk in that door you never thought would walk in that door because Jesus is coming and he's getting a church ready to go he had to die by Roman execution because the psalmist said in Psalms 22 and 16 Psalms 22 and 16 Psalms 22 and 16 said they pierced my hands and my feet Zechariah 12 and 10 said they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. He was going to die by a Roman execution Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for not recognizing or knowing the times and the seasons of their visitation by the Messiah in Luke chapter 19 and verse 44. They should have known because the Bible gave them specific time markers or anchor points in history that they could count from. When the why Wise men came to Herod they said we we want to know where is the Messiah where we want to know where is that king of the Jews that was born and he said go get the religious leaders and they came in and they asked the religious leaders exactly where the Messiah would be born and then Herod demanded to know from the wise men when they said it's going to be in Bethlehem of Judea he demanded to know when did the star appear but wait he he said I, I don't want you to miss this the wise men were wanted to know where but Herod wanted to know when so he could know how old the child was and since Jesus knew uh, uh that The Jews knew that the Messiah, if he was going to be in the the role of a priest or a king, he couldn't begin his ministry until he was 30 years old. So they could have easily determined when the Messiah would appear by simply adding 30 years to when he was born. So deductive reasoning or simple mathematics, they could have calculated that day and known for sure. However, even if they missed it, the book of Daniel told them exactly what day the Messiah would be declared and rejected. In Daniel chapter 9, when the command was given to restore and build Jerusalem, that was going to start the time clock. And according to Nehemiah chapter 2, Artaxerxes the king gave the command to Nehemiah on March the 14th, 445 B.C. That command began the 70 weeks of Daniel's prophecy. And in Daniel 9.24, he said 70 weeks, that's 490 years, are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. It's upon the Jews and Jerusalem. And then it would conclude 69 weeks later or 483 years later when the Messiah would be publicly identified and then rejected on April the 6th, 32 AD. The angel told Daniel it's going to be in troublous times. Uh, Nehemiah said, I had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. What are you saying, Brother Moses? It was already preordained of God when it was going to happen. And then exactly 483 years to the day, Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Jerusalem on April the 6th, 32 AD, and the crowds cried, Hosanna to the King! Hosanna to the King! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees said, You better make them hold their peace. And Jesus said, Not today. If these hold their peace, the stones will immediately cry out. Why? Because it was already written in the Word of God, it was prophesied by Daniel. It can't be tomorrow and it can't be next week. It's got to be right now. He is the Lord of glory. He is the Messiah. Men didn't write the book. God did. He said, well, why does that matter to us? You need to get excited because we're at the end. We are at the end. Somebody said, we've been hearing that all of our life. Not like you're hearing it now. We are at the end. There's revival going on at Asbury. There's revival going on in South Africa. There's revival spreading around all over the world. I'm telling you, Jesus is getting a bride ready for the rapture. We cannot afford dead church anymore. We can't afford rituals and routines anymore. We got to break out of that mold and let God do something powerful in this last day. It was important. Back then, it's important to us now because it's a precise moment in biblical history that serves as an anchor point which then other dates in the scripture can be clearly calculated or validated for other prophetic future events. It's gonna be important to you. But the 70 week, 70th week, or the last year, the reason, they, the reason they went into captivity to begin with is because in the 25th chapter of the book of Leviticus, God told them to keep a Sabbath for the land. Every seven years, every six years you work, you give the seventh, let it lay there. If you get a harvest, don't harvest it. Leave it there, let it rot. The Lord will take care of you for three years in the sixth year. It's a matter of trust. But for 490 years, they did not give the land a rest. That's why they went into captivity in Babylon. That's why Jeremiah, the Lord told Jeremiah, you tell the people that when they get there, plant vineyards and build houses, you're going to be there for 70 years. Why? Because you wouldn't obey the word of the Lord. It was important that God wanted us to understand this cycle of sevens. We'll talk more about it tomorrow. The fact is, Daniel set the exact date and they missed it. They still missed it. This is why so many scholars believe that even though we don't know the day precisely We don't know the precise hour when Jesus will come again for the church We can know the times and the seasons when his return is near Because Jesus told us exactly what we were to be looking for I'm not going to get into that tonight but I'll get into it tomorrow Most scholars agree that the fig tree is Israel The generation that sees the rebirth of Israel will see the end. Abraham was born in 1948 B.C. The nation of Israel was reborn in 1948 A.D. At the very day that Israel was made a nation and the flag of David went up the pole for the first time since King Zedekiah that went into the Babylonian captivity under Jewish control, the very day the flag went up the pole, Yagel Yadin walked into the new prime minister's office and said, we have found the word of God. He was referring to the Dead Sea Scrolls. They didn't know they were scrolls. They they opened the parchment and the very first legible words that they read that they were able to read on the scrolls were the words of Ezekiel 37 and 3 when God asked Ezekiel the question, can these bones live? Hallelujah, of course, the rebirth of Israel rising up from the ashes of the Holocaust had forever answered that question. Yes, they're gonna live because God ordained it. They're gonna be a nation again because God ordained it. It, It's not not up to man to determine it. Somebody said, I don't know what's going on in the world, it's going crazy. No, it's not going crazy. It's going exactly like God wants it to go. Don't get troubled. Don't be discouraged. Don't be weary in well-doing. Weariness comes in the last round. It comes in the latter part of the race. Hold on now. Get a second win now because we're about to finish this race. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Abba Eben was asked by a reporter at the United Nations after Israel's success in the six-day war. The reporter said, how is it possible that Israel outnumbered so much, 40 to 1, how could they possibly win such a war? And he leaned into the microphone and he said, because the God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. That was no accident. It was not a coincidence. It was not a lucky twist of fate. It was all part of God's divine plan and nothing is going to be able to stop it. He is God back then. He's God today. If he ever was powerful then, he's powerful today. Whatever you need from him back then, you can get the same thing today. He is never going to change and his power is not diminished. When the the nations are when the nations are debating about Jerusalem, they debate about Jerusalem. We ought to split that city to bring peace. God said it was his, it was his city. It was his, it was his country. It was his nation. And he said he put his name there. Brother Mason, can you put that first one up? First picture up? Just hold on just a second. Let's see if we can get this up here. Can, can you see that back there? That is Israel, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem with no buildings on it. Show the next one. That's Mount Zion in Jerusalem. That's where it's located. But God said, I'll put my name there. Show the next one. That letter is the letter representing God. He said, I'll put my name there. Show the next one. And they're the city with the whole city the way it was or the way it is now. If you took away all the buildings, it would look like it did before. What are you saying, Brother Moses? God wanted his stamp of approval. He put it there. It's my city. It's not going to be divided. It's not going to be negotiated. Why? Because he's going to set on Mount Zion. And he's going to rule on this earth for a thousand years. And nobody's doing that for him. He's the one that he has the deed, the claim to it. What more happened in 1948 than just the birth of Israel. 1948 was said to be historically a year of restoration and new beginnings around the world. Israel was born May the 14th, 1948. Yigel Yadin found the Dead Sea Scrolls. The National Council of Churches was formed. The beginning of the European nation's common market occurred. The communists overran Czechoslovakia and barricaded Berlin. Those two events triggered what we call the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, known as NATO, in 1948. That year also saw what's known as the formation of American states. The Index of Leading Indicators was formed in 1948. The space program began in 1948. UFO research began in 1948 the microchip was invented in 1948 and the treaty of rome was revived again in 1948 for which the antichrist will rule from god put all the pieces together in their proper place all of those things we didn't even know it back then but god was setting the stage for the redemption of the jews and the closing of the gentile door of salvation and it's what rabbi heim richman called god's grand finale we are at the end. This is the most exciting time in the church. I don't care about war or famine. I don't care about the nuts, of uh, the, the, the communities in our society that's gone completely nuts. It seems like they've gone off the rail, but he said, look for it. And when you see it, then look up. Lift up your heads, for your redemption is drawing nigh. We're gonna be the generation that sees the rapture of the church, and we might see it in just a few months. The angel told Daniel, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Again, God put his name there. Just four months ago, on October the 5th, Israel just celebrated their seventy began their 70th year of Jubilee. Seventy years from the day the children of Israel first walked into the promised land. And this is why the Jews believe this is the year their Messiah will appear. Those are exciting things because they all point to the end. But there's another event that surfaced that at first we didn't think it had any prophetic significance at all. To us, if it's Israel, we know what we're talking about. But within a few short days, we saw COVID-19 change the world. And it set into motion A series of end time events like nothing we've ever seen in human history. I heard one preacher say there were only two events in human history that ever shut down the whole world. The flood of Noah's day and COVID-19. Noah was locked in the ark for one year and two months. The world was locked down by COVID for one year and two months. Is it a coincidence? I don't think so. When COVID first shut us down... I walked the floors of our house. I was troubled and I I, I was feeling something I, I never felt before. And I told my wife, I said, something... Something big has just changed in the spirit world. Something like we've never seen before has been set into motion. And I said, I don't know what to do about it. I don't don't have any direction. No one's ever been to this place before. And I worried and I sought God. I need direction. I'm pastoring a church. I don't know what to tell them. I don't know where this is going. I feel like God had a plan all the way back there with COVID to set the stage for where we are now. Brother Raymond Woodward said while preaching from an empty building, he said this virus has literally moved the whole world online and now the church is just something else we do online. He said even when some restrictions are lifted, we will not be able to define what our new normal is going to be because the government officials and political leaders are going to decide what that will be. He said if our fathers could, see, could have seen our day, they would be scared to death, but our generation doesn't even seem to notice. He said, the awareness is so low and yet the stakes are so high because we live in a time of casual Christianity. End of quote. I don't want casual Christianity in the church I pastor. I want us to look beyond what we've already done. Thank God for where he brought us, but now's the time to step it up. Now's the time for the church to be the church. Don't come in the church looking forward to the service ending. Come to the church and get excited about what God's going to do and we're excited to be in that kind of an environment. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Brother Anthony Mangan said he was very sick. He said he was—he felt so, uh, such an urgency to get to the church to deliver an urgent message. His family told him, don't go, you're too sick. He said, God wants me to go and tell them that we're living in the last hours of the last days. He said that if the church... Is out of here in Revelation chapter four, and we're now seeing the chapter, the eighth and ninth chapters of Revelation being set up. How much he said? Then how much closer are we to chapter four, brother? Uh, brother Kenny Carpenter preached the sobering message about the abomination of desolation, and he said, "I believe that we're about to segue into the final moments of the church." Uh, he said, "I don't want us to live in fear, but neither do I want us to live in ignorance. Uh, so, as the church, we must not exo- ignore what." What's going on? We must be prepared. He talked about the magician that distracts you with one hand, while what he's doing in the other hand is the real deception. He said, we can't just know the truth. We need to love the truth. I've been beating that drum for 10 years in our church. He said, the church is what's restraining the Antichrist and his control over the world. But when this church is gone, that man of sin will have free reign. We are marching toward the rapture and the revealing of the Antichrist the Battle of Armageddon. What is coming after the rapture, he said, is going to make our current crisis look like a cakewalk. I don't want to be here when that comes on the world. He said the countdown has started and there's only one way to escape what's coming on the world and that is the rapture. This is not the gloomiest hour of the church, folks. This is your greatest hour. This is the hour you prayed for all of your life. Your parents and grandparents prayed for the hour we're living in. The prophets of old looked to see the generation that we're in right now. God help us not to blow it in this hour. Brother Raymond Woodward said after the war in Ukraine began, he said, I'm not preaching prophecy tonight because I'm an expert on the subject. I'm preaching it because it would be pastoral malpractice to see what's happening in the world and not to say anything about it, end of quote. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a doctor, Walked in and told you you have six to eight months to live. I promise you everything in your life would change. Everything. Your priorities would change. And I'm telling you that's exactly where we are. We only have a few months left. God is trying to get our attention. That's what I should have titled this tonight. I didn't even title it. Tomorrow night I'm going to talk about the bearer sheep Prophecy. And maybe the Shemitah cycles, if I can work those things in. But I can tell you right now, if if those calculations are right, if the genealogies that are listed in the Bible are right, we may only have seven to eight months left on this earth. We have the great tribulation that's about to start. And if we're not here for that, we're about to get out of here, folks. This is an amazing hour we're living in. You'll understand all that better tomorrow night. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that the generation that sees the birth of Israel they're going to see everything else come together to set the stage for the end of the church age or the rapture of the church for the antichrist and and the great tribulation Daniel said in the last days man's knowledge would be increased knowledge began to increase at the turn of the century there were more inventions in the first 18 years of the 20th century than all the history of mankind combined and everything we know today came from the first 18 years from 1900 to 1918 everything we know now came from the seed inventions back there why because Daniel said in the last days man's knowledge would be increased but at the same time in the last days God said he would send the latter rain in its season At the same time, there was a prayer meeting going on in Topeka, Kansas, that sparked the Azusa Street revivals that spread all over the world. John Hagee said a few months ago, while dedicating some Christians for Israel coalition thing, I think it was in Brazil, he said his grandfather preached for 50 years. He only lived to see one end time prophecy fulfilled in his lifetime, and that was the rebirth of Israel. He said, my father preached for 50 years. He only lived to see two end time prophecies that were fulfilled the rebirth of Israel, and the miracle of the six-day war. But then he went on to say we have seen so much Bible prophecy fulfilled in the last 12 months that we literally cannot keep up with it. One writer said there's been more prophecy fulfilled in this generation than all the 19th century since Christ. Second Peter 3 and 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. We are quickly drawing to a close in just a few short years. We're gonna be at the end of the sixth millennial since the sin of Adam, or 6,000 years of man's time. And let me tell you, if we don't go through any of the tribulation, we've got a, we've got a rapture on the schedule. Maybe in September, the last part of September, or the first part of October, we need to get excited. He's coming, he's gonna catch the bride away. The angel told Daniel, Daniel 12 and 4 But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book Even until the time of the end Many shall run to and fro And knowledge shall be increased The church could not process What's happening right now 50 years ago I'm not going to talk about People getting the microchip in their hand I'm not going to talk about that this week Why? Because you're seeing it all the time now You're seeing it all the time It's everywhere It's not not some news I need to break to you. You know it. You're seeing it all the time. There are more earthquakes and volcanoes in this century than all the 19th century since Christ. Why? Because all of the earth is groaning. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In the last days, man's knowledge would be increased. According to Time Life books... Man's knowledge seemed to be to stand still for thousands of years. But at the turn of the century, we went from the wagon wheel technology to the moon in about 40 years. Ronald Reagan said after the Berlin Wall fell, when all the answers to all the world's problems are contained in the pages of that little black book, the Bible, then how do we as Americans think we can live without it? He said maybe, just maybe, it's much later than we think. It is later than we think. America's lost all respect for morals, purity, life, and God. They want God out of our schools, out of our homes, our government, off our money, out of the Pledge of Allegiance, out of the Boy Scout and Girl Scout mottos, uh, out of Christmas, out of Easter, off the radio, off television. I can tell you it won't be long. We'll be out of their hair. We're gonna be out of here because we're gonna go from this earth and we're gonna be with the Lord forever. Jesus said, you'll be hated for my name's sake, but don't be troubled about it. Get excited about it. I want, to be, I want to be recognized as one of his disciples. America is not only in decline, America is in a free fall. God is trying to get our attention. Members of the LGBTQ and trans community now have more voice in the government than the church does the world has gladly embraced the LGBTQ movement while rejecting the church, labeling the church as crazy fools who are dangerous bigots who are out of touch with mainstream America. America. They're even now calling the Bible hate speech. We live in a country where you go to jail for breaking an eagle's egg, but you can kill two million babies a year, and nobody seems to be offended by that. I saw a quote a few days ago said, why would a bacteria be considered to be life on Mars, and yet a heartbeat is not considered to be life on earth. Romans chapter one. Someone quoted from that chapter today. Uh, verse 20 tells us they're gonna call evil good and good evil. Why? Because he turned him over to a reprobate mind. That's a mind that can't reason. It's a mind that can't discern. It's a mind that doesn't know how to tell you what a woman is. It's a mind that thinks that, that men can get pregnant. It's a reprobate mind. He let us know that it was coming. And we're living in Romans chapter 1. A Missouri high school picked a male student as the homecoming queen for the first time. Time magazine listed a transgender man as Woman of the Year. A Florida school board member took elementary school students on a field trip to a gay bar. The latest Supreme Court justice said she couldn't name, she couldn't give a definition of what a woman was. And Facebook even released a pregnant man emoji for your phones. We're watching. We've watched pastors and church members being arrested and beaten and put into solitary confinement for simply gathering together and having church services. This is so bizarre. My wife said it sounds like we're living in a twilight zone. None of this makes any sense. And what makes it even more bizarre is how quickly the population goes along with it. They don't resist at all. But for 6,000 years, there was no question that there was only two genders. There's a male and a female. Every child knew there we're only male and female, but now you're not allowed to say it. God is trying to get our attention. Jesus told them privately. He didn't tell everybody. He's not telling the world. He's telling you, I'm coming. I'm at the door, and this is your greatest hour. Brother Stone King spoke at the United Nations General Assembly. He preached a seven minute message to them from Acts 2.38 and told them, Jesus is the answer that you're all looking for. The message was translated in real time into every known language on the earth, fulfilling the prophecy that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached into all the world and then shall the end come. Matthew 24 and 14. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess you'll do it, whether you do it now by by your own self, will or not, you'll do it, but I like it when I see what hour we're living in, and I'm excited to be in the presence of the Lord. We leave church on Wednesday night, I can't wait to get back on Sunday. We leave on Sunday and I can't wait to get back Wednesday. I told my wife last Friday, I said, man, I wish today, I wish tomorrow was church. I wish I could just call everybody, get them together, let's just have Saturday church. I feel like preaching. I feel like running. I feel like dancing. I feel like we ought to get excited and pray somebody through to the Holy Ghost. I'm going to try to close here. In Daniel 12 and 4, the last days man's knowledge would be increased. Jeremiah chapter 18, God said, If you forget me, Israel... I'll make your land a land of hissing. How would he do that? By shutting off the latter rain in its season. The Jewish record shows that when the temple was destroyed and the Jews were dispersed all over the world in 70 AD, that the latter rain did not fall that year. And for 1,920 years, it did not rain a single drop of latter rain in Israel. But the Lord said in Joel 2 and 21, I will restore the years that the locust hath eaten. How would he do it? By restoring the latter rain in its season. And then at the turn of the century, when the Jews begin to migrate back to Israel in 1901, the latter rains begin to fall again in their season. It's not a coincidence that in the very same breath of Joel chapter two, God said, and in the last days also saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. And upon the servants and the handmaidens in those days will I pour out of my spirit. It's not a coincidence when man's knowledge was increasing. When the latter rains began to fall in Israel in January 1901 in Topeka, Kansas, the Holy Ghost fell there. Sparked the Azusa Street revival. Knowledge has been increased. Israel's restored. The Holy Ghost is once again setting the world on fire. Creative miracles are going on because God is getting a church ready. Stand with me. William Seymour prophesied at the end of the Azusa Street revival that in about a hundred years, he said, another revival greater than Azusa Street, greater than Topeka, Kansas greater than the book of Acts was coming, He said it will not be restricted to one place or to just preachers, but it will spread all over the world and it will not end until Jesus comes. He repeated that prophecy several other times before he died in 1922. Meanwhile, on the East Coast, uh, uh, two days I think later, Charles Parham prophesied the same thing. We are in that time right now. Brother Charles Robinette left the mission field, came from Brazil, came back to America to share a vision that. God gave him of a billion soul revival. And if you listen to his message and his testimony, it's already started. In a mirror in a message he entitled, Greater Things, denominational people are getting a revelation of who Jesus is. That's what Asbury is all about. I don't have time to talk about Asbury, but that's what it's all about. It's the hunger of people. They come into a church, some of them have been attending service for 30 years, and yet they'll get in an airplane and fly all across the country or around the world because they want to walk into an environment where nobody's preaching, but they can walk in that environment and feel God for the first time in their lives. Aren't you glad you don't go to a dead church? Aren't you glad you're in a place where the power of the Holy Ghost is still moving? Don't take for granted what God's given to you. Cherish that and share it with someone else. I told our church The, the thing that is so predominant in my mind About Asbury Not just Asbury But other revivals around the world Every time The Baptist, the Methodist, The Presbyterians The Nazarenes And the, the uh, Wesleyan folks Every time They get a desire and hunger for more of God And they start praying for more of God none of them ever have a deeper Baptist experience. None of them. They don't have a deeper Presbyterian experience. Every single one of them, when they begin to pray, they have a Pentecostal experience. Acts 2.38 is the foundation. If you want the power, you got to get all the tradition off the foundation. You got to wipe all that nonsense about programs and rituals and realists. You got to get that out of the way. If you want the power, you got to get down to the core. And when you read Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, if you want to be saved, you got to repent and you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. There was no remission offered in the Old Testament. The word doesn't appear there. It wasn't offered until the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they just kept kicking it down the road. I'm going to cover with the blood for now but we're kicking it down the road but when Jesus was crucified you don't kick it down the road anymore it goes in that blood and it's forever remitted, it's washed away the stain is gone and you can rise to walk in a newness of life this is not the gloomiest hour of the church can I give an altar call can you do that Get some singers up here This is not the gloomiest hour of the church. I hope by the time Sunday night comes, you're going to be excited. You're going to be so excited. You don't hardly know what to do with yourself. Amen. I've been that way. I've been walking around my house telling my wife, look, I got cold chills all over me. I feel it. It's in the air. I see God doing amazing things, and I want to be right in the middle of it. Amen. You say, well, our, our church has never had a move of God like that. Well, get ready get ready I believe that 2023 is going to be the year that changes the church it's going to give birth to the greatest end time revival the world has ever seen and we'll talk more about it tomorrow but it's going to be short it's going to be short it's not going to last long it's going to be real short and then Jesus is coming everything is in place the question is where's your heart Amen. If you just want normal church like you've always had, you're going to stay like you've always been. You need to get a hold of the vision. I'm at the end. Anything you ever wanted to do for God, you need to do it now. Amen. Some folks, when you talk about the coming of the Lord, they say, I hope the Lord waits a little while. I've got family members that are not safe. Can I tell you, we're reaching the hour. We have reached the hour now. You're going to have to risk something you've been afraid to risk. What's that? Offending them. Hey Amen. Someone told me that they needed God, but they said they heard me make a statement from our pulpit, and when they heard it, they said, I, I just shut it off right there. I won't listen to it no more. What in the world did I say? What I said was, Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man is born again of the water and spirit, you're not going to heaven I don't care what your church said. I don't care what your friends say. Jesus said, you're not going to heaven. Except the man is born again of the water and the spirit. He's not going to heaven. You have to obey the word of God. You can't just say, I believe it. You've got to obey it. I obeyed the commandment because I believe You can say, well, Pastor, I I believe in Jesus. Yes, but if you don't act on it, your faith has not been in action. If you don't obey him, then it's not gonna do you any good because the devils believe in one God and they tremble. He's not saved. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, if you're not where you need to be with the Lord tonight, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna close this service without giving you a chance to come and gather in this altar and seek the Lord. He's coming, and the opportunities you're going to have to pray in an altar, they're fading away. They're fading away. I want to open these altars today. I don't care if you're a saint, sinner, visitor, backslider, whoever you are, would you join us in the altar? Would you seek the Lord for a little while? I know some of you got a drive, got a long way to drive back home, but would you touch the Lord? Would you touch him before you leave?